your holy and inerrant, inspired word. The, the confession of our hearts is that we need you. Lord, I, I can't apply this uh, in a way that, that would penetrate, that would transform us. Lord, we can't do that for ourselves. Only you, by the power of your Spirit, can begin to, to change our lives and change our hearts and make this book, this book that is your word, only you can make it live to us. Father, that's what we need. We need transformation. We need to see the living Savior. And so, Father, be pleased to meet with us even now. Be pleased to, to come here with your people and show us the reality of who you are. We ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I think I, I've told you before uh, that for the majority of my life, I have been what you might call a pretty strict rule follower. Now, before you go and roll your eyes at me and think he's just puffing himself up and he's just saying that, and that's not true, before you say all of that, just let me say the reason that I was a rule follower was not because I didn't want to break the rules. I did. I just was not very good at breaking the rules. And that leads me right into the story that I want to tell you today, which occurred when I was in kindergarten at Rankin Elementary School. And as I recall it in my mind, it was a beautiful day, not like today. The sun was shining. There was not a cloud in the sky. It was perfect. It was a great day for being outside. And so when Miss Hazel, my kindergarten teacher, when she said, hey, everybody, it's time to come in from the playground, me and my buddy, we decided we didn't really want to do that. We decided it would be much better just to stay out here on the playground for the rest of the day. And so we came up with a plan. We decided we would hide in some place where she couldn't see us, and we would wait till everybody was in, and then we would come out and we would enjoy the rest of the day out there in the sunshine. Pretty good plan, right? That's a terrible plan. And you all know it's a terrible plan. I told you I'm not very good at this. And so you remember those scenes in movies, like those dramatic scenes, when the door slams and it's just a resounding boom. You know it's final. Well, that must have been what it was like for me and my friend. <laughs> because when the door shut, reality set in. We didn't think about the fact that it was going to be impossible for somebody not to miss us. We didn't think about the fact that it was going to be impossible to get back in without somebody noticing us. We also didn't think about the fact that as two five-year-olds, it is very intimidating to be on a playground in the middle of Chupelo, Mississippi by yourself. And so, almost immediately, we ran back to the door. But, guess what? Even back in those days, this is the late 80s, guess what they even did then at school doors? They locked them. And so we, we were there, banging on the door frantically, urgently. Someone let us in, knowing that nobody was going to hear us, and knowing that if somebody eventually did, it was not going to be good, right? Now, somebody did eventually hear us. And we tried to make our excuses. We tried to plead ignorance. But the reality was is that when our teacher said, come in, we heard it clearly, but what did we decide to do? We decided to ignore it. We decided, we chose to stay outside. Now, 
as we come to our passage today, that's a pretty good illustration of what Jesus is trying to speak to us about our spiritual lives. And he's using the same sort of illustration. You know, it's, it's doors. It's, it's locked doors. And this is a particularly good illustration for us today, for us in our time. You know, I don't have to tell you that, that we live in a society that, religiously speaking, is more and more pluralistic. In other words, we, we look out at all of these various religions and we say, well, maybe you can just do your thing and I'll do my thing and it'll all just work out in the end, right? Even more than that, the, the, the tendency seems to be these days is to say, well, maybe all of this is just the same anyway. Maybe all of these religions are really just getting us to the same place. And so what we end up with is what Philip Ryken in his commentary, he illustrates it like this. Imagine that you're, you're in a long hallway, and on each side are just a, a bunch of various doors. And you may have the, the Christian door, and you may have the Jewish door, and the Muslim door, and the, uh, the Hindu door, and there's a hundred doors in between. And the question no longer is which door is the right door. The question now is which door do I like? Which one is, is most pleasing to me? Which one seems to, to fit me best of all? After all, they're all just doors to the same place. And so it becomes sort of a, a buffet line of religion. It becomes a buffet line of belief where we get to choose what we like. It's all going to work out in the end. So we pick out what we like. Friends, as we consider that, the, the question has to be, and as we come to this passage today, the question really is, is, is that true? Is it true that, that all of these doors lead us to the same place? Well, friends, if it's not, if that's not true, then we need to know it. And we need to know which door is the right door. And we need to know how we can get in it. Well, that's exactly what Jesus gives us here. And so the question before each one of us, not just the question in front of the whole crowd, but the question to you today, the questions are these. Have you chosen a door? And if so, is it the right door? And if you've chosen the right door, have you actually walked through it? Are you actually on the other side of that door today? And maybe the biggest question of all, how do you get there? How do you get on that other side? Well, friends, that's what I want us to consider. And so let's look at it together. First in this passage, I want you to see a singular door. One, a singular door. Now, all of this begins uh, with an important question, a pressing question. And you see it there uh, in verse 23. Someone comes up to Jesus and they say, Lord, will those who are saved be few? In other words, who all is actually going to get in? Now, on some level, we need to recognize that this is a very Jewish question, right? These are God's people all the way back to Abraham. They, they were very concerned to trace their lineage there. And they would have really believed that they were the only ones that would get there. Sure, Gentiles could come in, but they were only going to get there as much as they kind of conformed to Jewish religion and to Jewish law. And so the, the rabbis and the priests, they would have limited that group of who was saved to, to a very small few, especially when you consider the, the nations, the world. This is a very Jewish question. 
But we also need to recognize that, that it's also a very modern question as well, right? We've already said that, that we live in this pluralistic society, and as we come into that hallway with all those doors, the question that is really on our hearts and minds is who all is going to get in? And how will they get in? Is everybody going to get in? How will they be saved? Friends, I want you to notice that, that in verse 24, Jesus makes it very clear. He doesn't leave any wiggle room. Uh, he doesn't mix his words. He just tells us straight out there in verse 24, strive to enter through what? The narrow door. The narrow door. In other words, the, the door to eternal life, the door to real salvation, it is singular, it is one. Apparently, it's not a very big door at that. Now, how, how do we get, what is that door? In other words, how, what, what is the door that we're looking for? Friends, obviously he's speaking to, to Jewish people here, and so it's not laws and customs, the ones that the Pharisees hold to that, that comprise that door. Uh, it's not Mohammed, it's not Hindu gods that comprise that door. It's not, oh, I'll just be a good person. I'll just be a good religious person. I'll do more good than bad, and that will get me through the door. No, that's not what Jesus says here. It's not what he says throughout his word. What is it that gets us through that door? Who is that door. Him, right? You remember in John chapter 14, he says, none come to the Father except through who? Except through me. He says, I am the door. There's no other way to get there except through Jesus. The Bible says, it's clear. But look, as I say those words, I realize that they're not very popular. <laughs> I realize that even to our own hearts, they make us squirm just a little bit in our seats. Even if we believe that they are true, they make us ask the question, why, Lord, why did you have to make it so narrow? Why did you have to do it this way? Well, friends, Bill reminded us Wednesday why it had to be this way, why the door had to be just one door. Because when Jesus came, he knew exactly what it would cost to achieve salvation. He knew exactly what it would take to win back sinners like you and I. It was not good deeds on our behalf. It was not other religions. It was one thing. And what was that one thing? Well, remember, where is he headed in this passage? He said it at the very beginning. That he was headed to Jerusalem. Remember, we saw that several weeks ago, right? He had set his face towards Jerusalem. And what is he going to find there? Not the, not the crowd that was shouting Hosanna. Not the palm branches that were waving. He's going to find angry faces. He's going to find a, a shouting mob. He's going to find a cross. He's going to find a cross that is actually yours and it is ours and mine. Because he knew the full weight of sin. 
And to some degree or another, we feel this too. Whether we want to admit it or not, whether we are honest enough with our own hearts or not to say that it's true, the reality is, Romans 1 says that, that we are living in unrighteousness. We're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. We know the reality of our own hearts. They are deceitful above all things. And so the question that is so often on our minds, when people say, I'm asking the big questions of life, is what's going to happen after this is over with? How are we going to reconcile all of these things that I see in my life to eternity? Let me remind you just of several of the options here, several options that other religions put out there. And I do this purposely because it's going to set up what's to come, okay? Remember, sometimes religions say, well, we're just going to get what we deserve. Me and my friend outside of that door, we knew exactly what we deserved. The reality is, is if we have any kind of understanding of, of punishment at all, we realize we don't really want that, do we? So this is not a very good option. Secondly, sometimes religion says to us, as we've said, do good things, and you can kind of offset the bad things that you do. You can, you can balance the scale. Friends, my question to you would be, is, is what good is good enough to offset the bad that we do? And that's particularly true in light of a holy and righteous God. As we come to a God who is good all the time, what good in us is good enough to satisfy Him? There is no good. There is not enough we could do. We can never do enough to get to that standard. Third, some religions just say, well, God's just going to sweep it all under the rug. He, he's just going to take our sin and He's going to say, you know what? We just won't worry about that. We'll just forget about that and you can just go on in. Now look, admittedly, this is the best option of these three. We like this idea, especially for ourselves. But let me ask you this, how much do we like this option for those people who have hurt us? Those people who have treated us poorly? Those people in our world today who are committing terrible atrocities? Who are doing awful things? Do we want a God who's going to say to them, Hey, we don't just want to worry about that. You just come right on in. The truth is, we don't want that. We want a God who is just. We want a God who is holy. And that's what we've got. That means he's just and he is holy to us as well. And so none of these three options, none of them are getting us to where we need to be. The, the way is narrow, right? It, he has is, he is trimmed it down pretty far. But I, I kind of put the cart before the horse earlier. What is the, the only thing that can get us there? We've said it. It's Jesus. He was the only one who could satisfy what sin deserved. He, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, went to the cross. He bore your sin and my sin. He bore the wrath of God that I deserved. He died in our place. Bill said it Wednesday. It's that penal substitutionary atonement, right? He stands in my place. God Almighty, the second person of the Trinity, died for sinners. People like me. People like you. Friends, this is why the way is narrow. This is why it's a singular way. Because this is the only way. It's the only way that you and I could be saved and have any hope. Only through the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? 
Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's a single door. Secondly, in this passage, notice, it's also a time-sensitive door. Now, if we, if we keep with our hallway metaphor here, what point number one has done is it's brought us to the right door. The question now is, do we walk through it? And if so, when do we walk through it? Well, again, verse number 24, Jesus says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. He goes on to say there in verse 25, When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Friends, these are difficult words. We have to admit that they are difficult words. Jesus here is, res- is sounding a warning. A warning that, that resounds throughout history, resounds to those Jewish people particularly he is speaking to, and it's a warning that resounds to you and I even today. Notice, the way is open, but eventually it will close. And when it closes, they will say, they will knock, just like me and my buddy, we will knock. I do not know where you come from. I do not know who you are. Though they had the chance, they didn't heed the call to come inside until it was too late. Friends, as we gather here on this Easter Sunday morning, I wonder, does this warning resound to us today as it should? Does it resound to to you and I? What Christ is saying here is that it's not enough simply to be close to the church. It's not enough simply to be connected in sort of a superficial way. It's not even enough to, to know what Jesus has said. Now notice that word in verse 24, it's it's strive. That's an intense word of action in the Greek. It's one that's often used in athletic terms. Paul talks about straining to reach the prize. That's what Jesus has in mind here. That's also the Greek word that we get our English word agonize from. The idea here is that that we uh, don't just, just kick back. We don't stick this great salvation off in a corner But with all that we have, with all that we are, if this really is the only way to salvation, then friends, we pursue it with all of our hearts. We pursue it it with all of our lives. We pursue after Jesus because we know that He is the only one who can save us. That becomes even more imperative when you get to verse 28, right? It says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. In other words, this is not, hey, we'll give you a second chance after this is over. This is not, hey, come back and we'll we'll talk about this. This is final judgment. Look, it pains me to say those words as much as it pains you to hear those words. That's what it is. It's 
what he's giving us here, the reality that the time is coming where he will come. Our chance will be no more. And so, so again, we don't kick back. We, we don't presume on God's patience. We don't put off this great salvation till tomorrow. No, we strive through his word. We strive through prayer, through faithful attendance, through time with God's people to know this Lord. Now look, I have to be careful here because what I'm not saying is that all of our striving is what gets us into heaven. Uh, all of our good works, we've already said, can merit us nothing. Paul says they are all just filthy rags. And so all of this work on our behalf, all this pursuing, doesn't get us there. But friends, to do nothing is certainly death, right? If we do nothing, it's death. And so we pursue. And friends, on that day when we walk through the door, what you will find is that all you're pursuing, in all of you pursuing, is actually Jesus who was pursuing you. It was actually Him who walked you right to the door. And it was actually Him who walked you through. And He's there on the other side waiting on you. It's Him from the beginning. It's Him to the end. Friends, until we can claim that salvation as our own, we strive. And even after that, we strive after so great a Savior. Don't be lackadaisical here. Don't just hang around the perimeter of the church, close but not quite there. Friends, may we never toy around or be half-hearted with so great a salvation. If you've walked up to the door, just kind of stuck your toe over the line, friends, that's not enough. I want to encourage you this morning. Look to Jesus. By faith, trust in Him. Repent. Tell him your sins. Tell him all the bad things you've done. And guess what? He's going to forgive you because he promises to do it. And then, with him, walk through that door. You can be saved today. That's what he is inviting you to. And so we see a time-sensitive door, a singular door, a time-sensitive door. And then thirdly and finally and quickly, I want you to notice, it's a door to hope. It's a door to hope. Now look, it's Easter Sunday morning. And I realize that, that when we leave this place, we're supposed to leave here on Easter with hope, right? That's the reality of what this means. Jesus is alive. That's the anchor for our souls. That's the hope we have. So when we walk out those doors, we better have it. But I also recognize that I may not have done a good job up to this point giving you very much hope. So let me try to remedy that now. Let me point you to Jesus' invitation here in verse 29. It's an invitation that, that should put a smile on each one of our faces because it's an invitation to directly to each one of us. Even if we heeded that invitation years ago, it's an invitation that is for us. It says, and people will come from where? From, from Israel? From Jerusalem? No. It says people will come from east and west from north and south, they will come from all over the world. Friends, that's, that's the gospel uh, mission, right? That, that Jesus' name may go to every corner of the world. And the truth is, is it's going to. On that day, every tongue, tribe, and nation will be there. But this is an invitation that extends to you and I. Because are we Israelites by birth? Are we Jewish by birth? The answer is no. What once was just for this small nation, it now comes 
to people like you and I. People who are far off. Sinners like you and I. Even the worst of us. This is an invitation to come. And what are we coming to? Notice, again in 29, he says they'll come from north, south, east, and west, and they will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. This is an invitation to a feast. This is an invitation to a feast with God's people. The Lord play it, or spells it out for us in Revelation chapter 19. I reference this passage often, and you know that, but, but it's so good, you can't not reference it. It's the, the marriage feast of the Lamb. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty pearls of, uh, peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saint. This, this is what Jesus is inviting us to. A feast with his people where we will be the church, where we will be spotless without sin. And it's a feast where who serves? He does. Let me say that to you again, because I don't think you heard me. It is a feast where the maker of heaven and earth, the one who made you, died for you, will serve you. And what a king. What a savior. This risen one will come, and he will be there with us for all of eternity. Again, I say this so often. Friends, this is the prize. It's not streets of gold. It's not mansions, though we look forward to that. It's not even the feast itself. The prize is the Savior. The prize is Jesus. And guess what? It is a prize that is guaranteed. Now, some of my is going to say, well, how can you say that? How do you know that this is the reality? There's all these other things out in the world. How can you say with assurance that this is what is to come? Friends, what are we celebrating today? I can say it with assurance because we're here today worshiping a Savior who is alive. He is not dead. Death could not hold him down. Three days he was in the tomb. And he rose again. And even now, even now, he is seated at the right hand of his Father. And from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. What has he given us as his people? This same kind of resurrection power. Power that is for you and I. Power that will see us through every hardship, every trial, Every difficult place of this life, He's with us. He promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. And those aren't the words of a dead man. Those are the words of a man who is alive right now. He says, I'm with you. I will not leave you. Not only that, this resurrection power, what is it guaranteed to do? He is the first fruits, right? That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. The first fruits. And who are we? We're the ones that follow. 
If we are resting in Jesus today, if you are trusting in him as your Savior, then 1 Thessalonians says there's a day coming where the clouds are going to part, the trumpets are going to sound, and Jesus is going to descend. And we who are left are going to meet him in the clouds. We will have new bodies and we will be with him forevermore. That's the guarantee. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why this is such a joyous, happy day. And that's why when you walk out of those doors, you better walk out with hope. Because he is alive, friends. And he has loved you with so great a love that he died for you. He's risen again. And so, on this Easter Sunday, as we celebrate the risen Savior, let me ask you one last time. Will you enter in through the narrow door? Will you believe the king, he invites you. He, he has extended the invitation. Not me, not this church, not the elders, Jesus. He extends the invitation to you to come. And for those of us who have walked through the door, let this be a reminder to us every day is Resurrection Sunday. Every day we live with that hope. Don't let this world take it away from you. Don't let yourself take it away from you. Live in the reality of what Christ has done. Friends, he is alive, and he will be alive forevermore. Let me read one last thing. I didn't mark it, which is always dangerous. But Peter says, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Is this your testimony? Is this true of you? Are you living in a living hope? Friends, the invitation is open. The door is open. Come. Let's pray. Father, as we consider these things, as, as we think about what you have done for us through Jesus, Lord, we do rejoice. We, we, we want to shout and we want to sing. And Lord, it certainly is enough to send us out of this place with, with hope, hope that, that lasts, hope that will see us through, even through the, the darkest places. Because no matter what may happen, nothing can, can negate the truth that Jesus is alive. Nothing can negate the truth that He has died for us. Nobody in this world can take, this away from, can take that away from us. And so Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would cause us to search our hearts. That you've given us, God, you've given us this warning. And it is clear, the time is not forever. So may we ask ourselves the hard questions. And if we have not walked through that door, Lord, we pray that you would not let us have any rest until Jesus leads us through. Again, for those of us who have, give us your presence. Give us your peace. Help us to live out in the world as those who do have an unshakable hope. But we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is alive, and we ask all these things in his name. Amen.